All right. Come, yes. So I had a PowerPoint presentation, and uh, it turns out like Windows just doesn't like me some weeks. So imagine on the back this amazing PowerPoint presentation. Um, no, it was really just the verses that I wanted to talk from this morning. And so um, if you do have uh, your Bible with you, or you've got um, an app on your phone or your iPad or something, then feel free to pull that out. Nobody's going to judge you. They're not going to imagine that you're looking at Facebook. Well, not much anyway. So pull that out. The, we'll get to it in a second. Um, all right. And the title of my presentation was Waiata for the King. Waiata for the King. We all worship. We, we all worship someone or something. It doesn't matter. Everybody worships. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist. It doesn't matter if you're a child. It doesn't matter if you're uh, a grandparent. We all worship. Because to worship means uh, to give worth to something. And when you think about it, we, we all give worth to something or someone. We do it through uh, all kinds of ways, but I think for us, um, through our attention, what we think about, and our affection, what, what, we, what we long for, or what we hope for. So, you know, what do you spend most of your time thinking about, or what do you spend most of your time longing for? And we live in a materialistic culture. It's, and in this materialistic culture, it's, it's often stuff like money, it's often stuff like uh, security, it's often stuff like possessions, um, relationships, a career, and often we, we end up uh, worshipping things that the advertising industry wants us to worship. They, they trick us, they manipulate us, because they, they want us to uh, think that what they're advertising is of the, of the highest worth, of the ultimate worth, and... Um, and they do it so that we spend money on it, right? So um, a new smartphone, a new iPhone, um, a nice car, uh, a new computer game, um, a nice house in a nice neighborhood. Uh, or you might kind of go down the track of I uh, want uh, more, I want more likes on Facebook, or I want more followers on Instagram. All those kind of things, right? These are just these are just examples, and the list goes on and on. And I and I know it because I feel it like all the time, like things that grab my attention and my affections as well. In fact, actually, just at the moment, I'm like thinking, oh, actually, I would quite like a new smartphone. Thank you very much. But the question is, is what we're worshipping, is what we're fixated on actually actually worth it? Is what we're choosing to give worth to actually of worth? And sometimes it helps to be able to take a moment to stand back, and that's what we're doing this morning, standing back or sitting back and take stock and just reflect on these questions. One, in my life, uh, in my thoughts and my actions, what am I giving worth to? Or in two... Is what, I, is what I'm giving worth to actually worth it? Is this something that I actually uh, want to give worth to? And to, to unpack what this means, to unpack what it means to worship, I want to look at a story, and it's uh, about Jesus, and it's in Mark's Gospel in chapter 14. So some of you are turning to Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. 
I always quite like to, if I'm looking at a Bible passage, try to set the scene a little bit, try to look a little bit further back, like what's going on, especially when you're looking at stories of Jesus. Where, where is he? Uh, what's he been doing? Who's he talking to? What's he been up to the day before? And what's he going to be up to the day after? So in this scene, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, um, a, few, a few days before the story that I really want to dig into, Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it was this, it's a real pivotal scene. Uh, he rides into Jerusalem, and crowds of people shouted out these, uh, these words. Actually, this is in Mark 11. Um, don't need to turn there just yet. Mark 11, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And we, and we call this the triumphal entry. If, you, if you've read, heard the story before, it's called a triumphal entry. It's, and it's because Jesus entering Jerusalem as the king, as the triumphant king. And over, I know that over the last few months, I've talked about this a few times, and, uh, and I don't want to be repetitive, but, but this is really key. It's really important, and we just want to look at some of these words. First of all, Hosanna. Hosanna means Savior. When Jesus walks into the city, rides into the city of Jerusalem, people are crying out, Savior. Here comes our Savior. And the next line says, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like this idea, he comes in the name of the Lord. This speaks of the authority that Jesus has. He has the authority of God. In the next line, it says, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. All right, so there's a few things here. Jesus is the king. So he, he has a kingdom, and his kingdom is good. They say, Blessed is the coming kingdom. It's a good kingdom, a kingdom that they're hoping for. The coming kingdom, so it's prophesied. It's been prophesied. And then this line, the kingdom of our father David. Uh, they're talking about this, uh, this man, King David, who was the king in the so, so-called glory days of Israel, hundreds of years earlier. And there's prophecies in the Bible, prophecies about a new king who's going to come. And the line of King David and this new king is going to save them. He's going to be the savior. And he's going to have this incredible kingdom um, absolutely amazing. They've been hoping for this for a long time. And so they're singing out the song, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom uh, of our father David. So then Jesus enters Jerusalem. All right, so this is, some of the, this is some of the scene setting, right? Jesus coming to Jerusalem, people are recognizing him as this king, this prophesied king. And it happens on a Sunday. It happened on, um, we call it Palm Sunday. And then you have this really intense week, uh, uh, Sunday uh, through to the following Sunday, and just so much stuff happens in this week. There's, uh, Jesus has interactions with lots of people. He tells lots of stories. He, he teaches them lots of things. Um, and then you get to the end of the week, and on Friday, on, on Sunday he enters Jerusalem as the king. On Friday he's being crucified as a false king, as a false messiah. Like hero to zero. And I don't, you might have been following the news this week and you might heard, have heard about Todd Muller. Uh, yeah, hero to zero, right? So he becomes the leader of the National Party a few months ago and then this week it all was um, too much. I can't imagine the kind of pressure that he was under and, and now he's out, like two months. And, the, and the, the news articles talked about how this was really, really fast. He's been a leader for only two months. Look at Jesus. Walks into, walks into Jerusalem as the king, and by the end of the week, he's being crucified along with two thieves, on e- uh, two criminals on either side of him. That, that's crazy. 
is hard to get our head around. And so this is a, this is a big, a critical week, a big and pivotal week. And right in the middle of it, right in the middle of it is this really beautiful and profound moment of worship. And it takes place in a small town called Bethany, which is just outside uh, Jerusalem. I was going to get Tessa to read the story, but she's doing double duty on uh, looking after uh, the rug rockers this morning, so I'll just cover it. Imagine that I'm speaking. Actually, when uh, sometimes Elena, our daughter, loves me to pretend to be Tessa, and when, that, mean, that means I've got to talk like this. Hi, Elena. <laughs> Hello, my darling girl. <laughs> And then we have this whole thing, and she goes, "You pretend to be, you pretend to be mummy, and, and she'll pretend to be." Elena will say, "I'll pretend to be daddy," and mummy will pretend to be me, and we try to do this role playing, and it never, it never works out. So Elena goes, "I'm daddy, I'm daddy." She calls me daddy pig. <laughs> Long story involving Peppa Pig. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Total sidetrack. Tessa was going to read a story. I'm going to read it. That's my point. All right, so it's in the middle of this, this, middle of this week, this critical week. There's this profound moment of worship. It says, so this is the verse, this is the passage that you, um, that you might want to look up. Mark 14, verses 3 to 9. Mark 14, 3 to 9. It says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And it Okay, so a few days earlier, Jesus came into the city as the king, the triumphant king. And people, they'd probably heard about Jesus, and they might have seen him healing people. They might have seen him delivering people of demons, setting them free. He, they might have heard him forgiving people of their sins and announcing the con- coming kingdom of God. And now this king, he, he's having dinner at, at Simon's house, Simon the leper. I sort of wonder, eh? Hey, like, did Simon still have leprosy? Like, it doesn't say that he was healed, but I, you know, my guess is that Jesus, he was a healer. He'd probably healed him, right? And while they're at this dinner, this woman arrives with an alabaster flask. So alabaster, if you don't know, it's a, it's a white stone. So it's a white stone flask. And she takes this flask and she and she breaks, you must break open the top of it and pours out, in this passage it calls it um, the nard, the expensive nard, which is, it was this, it's, it's an essential oil. It's a strong-smelling, aromatic oil, like a, like a strong-smelling perfume. And she pours it out of, over Jesus. And imagine if you were in this, in this room and you had your, 
had a jar of perfume and you break it open and you pour it out, like the whole, whole, this whole place, this whole house is going to be filled with that smell of the perfume. And then Jesus, I wonder what, wonder what he, what he was doing. Like, and she pours the perfume out over his head, like he would have been covered in the smell. And then everybody saw what was going on. And some of them, they get really mad. They're like, what's she doing? She's, she's just wasting money. It's a total waste of money. She could have sold it for 300 denarii. I don't know how you say that. It's, it's Latin. How do you do a double two eyes? Denarii. Denarii? Denarii? We'll go with that. She could have sold it for 300 denarii and given the money to the poor. Does it work? No. Do you think it's denarii? Denarii. I hold it longer. Denarii. <laughs> and and that is plural for denarius. And a denarius is a, is a Roman silver coin. One denarius, it, it might have been worth a, uh, the equivalent to what some say someone would have been paid for a day's work. One day's work. And so, yeah, exactly, 300 days' work. She takes the perfume, 300 days' work for an average worker, and it might have been worth far, far more than that for her. And so these people, they scold her as though, as though she didn't know what it was worth. Of course she knew what it was worth. And then Jesus, he stops them in their tracks, and he says, she has done a beautiful thing to me, he says. We think about this white this white stone jar, like this valuable alabaster flask. She broke it, pouring out over his, over his head, and she could have sold it. Yeah, she could have. She could have given the money to the poor, or maybe she could have kept it. She could have sold it and kept the money. Or, um, or she, must have, she could have just kept it for future perfuming. It was just this it's just this temporary thing. It's just an object, a temporary thing. And, but instead of saving it or selling it, she just lets it go. And she breaks it and she pours it out over Jesus, over his head, gives it to him. And I think it's so fascinating because this, this thing, this object, this temporary possession, it, it goes from being this thing that would have... No one would have known about it. It would have been completely forgotten 2,000 years ago in history, and, and it somehow enters into the story of Jesus. And now we're talking about it on a Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, imagining what it would have smelt like, right? It goes from being temporary to being, it becomes part of the eternal story. And then Jesus says, I think this is so cool. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And guess what we're doing right now? Whenever the gospel is told, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. Whenever that story is told, we're going to remember her. We don't even know her name. But we remember what she did. And this amazing woman, like she comes in and she worships Jesus. It's her wayata for the king, a profound act of giving worth to Jesus. And she, she did it by bringing something that was of value to her, was incredibly valuable to her, and just giving it to Jesus. And she didn't say anything. Well, at least nothing is recorded in the Gospels, not a word. But her actions speak. And what do they say? Well, I think they say something like this, Lord oh, Jesus, you are worth so much more to me than this jar of perfume. You're worth so much more to me than 
300 denarii, 300 days of work. And she did it in front of all these people who were shocked by her extravagance. They thought she's being so wasteful. Jesus talked a lot about giving to the poor and looking after the poor, and they thought they probably thought that they were being um, pious, you know, like being extra good by saying, no, that's a waste of money. They thought she was being wasteful and not worshipful. And somehow this woman overcomes what they think. She, it's hard to imagine that she wouldn't know that they're looking at her and judging her, but she somehow overcomes it. What's more important to her is Jesus and honoring him. So what's more important than her her reputation is Jesus' reputation. And I imagine her coming in to this room and just like setting her sights on Jesus, her king and her savior. Setting her sights on him and not allowing uh, thoughts of what other people were thinking. um, Not sort of like second guessing herself, but just focusing on her and and bringing it to her Savior King. Like, isn't it beautiful? And it's so intimate. In front of all these people, this really intimate moment. She only has eyes for her King. And then her King says, and I kind of imagine that. Like, what, what would that have felt like to her? He says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. This reminds me of what Fenner said at the end of, end of worship, eh? Like about... Like let this be a, a uh, let this bring you pleasure. I think she has done a beautiful thing to me. So that's that's Mark fourteen, verse nine, and then and then comes this absolutely horrific shock. This twist in the story. It's actually unbelievable. I've only just noticed it. It says in the very very next verse in Mark in Mark chapter fourteen, verse ten. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Have you noticed that before? Have you? Like, this act of worship, of intimate worship that shocked people, and then the very next verse, Judas, he's going to betray this king. And she, like, like she, she goes, Jesus, you're worth more than this flask, which I could have sold for 300 denarii. And, and Judas betrays Jesus, and we learn in another gospel that he betrays him for 30 silver coins, 30 shekels. And it's this absolutely shocking contrast, I think. Through her actions, the woman says, Jesus, you're worth more than this jar of perfume. And Judas shows his actions, say, Jesus, you're worth less than 30 coins of silver. Oh my goodness. Jesus, he, he taught that you can't serve God and money. He goes, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's Matthew six twenty four, And we see this absolute contrast between the woman and Judas, with between her perfume and and what he wanted. The woman was devoted to Jesus. She demonstrated her devotion through this really outward act. All right, going to shift tracks. Going to shift tracks from talking about perfume to talking about songs. Because in, in our church services, we have this, we have this moment um, called 
uh, that we call worship. It's the singing part. We sing songs, and they're often explicitly about worshiping Jesus. Uh, uh, we sang these songs this morning, and there was lines in those songs like, there's no one like our God. We will praise you. Jesus, you are God. We will sing. Or another one that we sang, Jesus, King of all the earth, let the heavens proclaim your worth. And we sang, I will exalt you. There is no one like you. You alone are worthy. We sang that. You alone are worthy, right? They're worship songs because outwardly, at least with our mouths uh, and our lungs and everything that we need to sing, we are ascribing uh, worth to God. And so I want to interview a couple of uh, worshippers. I'm going to invite up um, one by one. I'm going to talk to Teresh, and then I'm going to talk to Caleb just to talk about... um, you know, what's going on behind the scenes, right, for them as, as worshippers. So, Tara, should we start with you, bro? Yeah. Um, Tirish, if, if you if you don't know, uh, he's he's begun playing guitar on our on our worship band. Maybe the beginning of this year or last year. Um, yeah. 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 And uh, and sometimes when you see, I know when I'm in the congregation, you see somebody that's um, sort of playing music and playing songs. I kind of like wonder, like, what's going on in their head? Are they so lost in the attention of Jesus? And I thought this is a chance to kind of like get behind the scenes, kind of find out what is Tirish really thinking about. Um, but I've got a couple of questions that I'll just start with. So, um, Tirish, why do you worship God? Oh, hey guys. Um, when when James emailed us like um, asked about this question, um, to be honest, I was thinking this past few days. Uh, he emailed to us like two weeks before, so I've been thinking about this question. And and to be honest, I, I don't know why. Um, I was really questioning myself like why I worship God, and and to be honest, it's very, very hard to answer it um, because um, when I was small, I go to church. It is it, it you know people worship, so you worship. Um, and and then I just realized that uh, when I worship, it's more on that I want to receive something else. I, I like the moment of being, you know, peaceful. I like the moment being, um, you know, when people worship and if you if you good. And and then and then when I look at the Bible, we're saying that worship is not about you you receive something, but it's something that we give. And I realized that it's something that we give to God. Um, so it really, like, changed my mind about about worship is uh, something that you really give thanks to God. But you, you do, it's good to feel, you know, the, the moment, but, but it's also more on, like, you give to God. Um, and, and, and so, like, I see one sentence, I feel like it's quite cool uh, to share that. I'm uh, saying that God indeed worthy of my worship, but how much more worthy of my worship is He? Because He's also the everlasting Father, the Alpha Omega, the God Almighty, He's also all-knowing Jehovah, the creator of the world, the kings of kings, the Lord of lords, the way, the truth, and life. And He also my Redeemer and Heavenly Father. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome, man. Um, before you go away, that is uh, yeah, it's stunning, eh? Um, I want to, I also asked you about like why, or how, how do you worship how do you worship God or, or the kinds of things that, you know, are going through your mind? And 
I, I asked you uh, about like barriers, if there's any barriers or distractions, and what you do, what you do when that happens. Um, yeah, luckily James sent me the question so I can prepare before I <laughs> share. Um, I guess I, when they ask the question, I just try to think back when I'm still a new Christian. Um, and, and one particular thing that I remember when I was the first in uni, uh, so I started my first uni um, back home. And, you know, when you're away from home, um, you really, like, lonely and stuff. I remember there's one, there's one area where I always walk around. And during the times, like, I really feel a lot of spiritual attack. I'm not sure whether, especially being a new Christian, you really can feel something different. Um, I'm not sure why, but I just feel kind of weird. Um, so, so, yeah, I just listen to, to the music. And a particular song that I always listen is uh, called El Shaddai. I just keep listening, listening, and especially during midnight and just like walking around. And, and, and I just realized that worship, uh, when you worship God, you also talk to God. So when I worship and then I hold on and say, oh God, um, why that happened to me? And then sometimes, you know, the answer will be, um, will, will be answered. And, um, and yeah, so this is how I, how I worship God. And, and the things that really stop me sometimes is that when I, when I get, busy and busy, and also when i getting more comfortable um, about my life. And so it's a life where I just stop doing much for God, if that makes sense. Like, I stop, you don't really worship God as much as only when you come to church. Um, and actually, that's not something that we should do as well, especially for me. Um, so yeah, so this is something that stopped me. And, and I guess um, we as a Christian, uh, for me, is that just have to understand that um, yeah, God is everything in our life. So without Him, like who who we are, yeah. That's awesome. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Tara. Thanks for preparing that. Really cool to hear behind the scenes, bro. Really awesome. <laughs> and my uh, next uh, special guest is um, fondly known as Caleb the Tall. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're all just jealous. Well, I asked you this. I asked you the same. I asked you the same questions. You know, we 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 often see you um, like doing BVs and and singing, um, but yeah, the, the same sorts of things. You know, um, why do you worship God? What motivates you? Why do you want to sing? You know, those kinds of things. Um, right. So why? Um, and I guess. The, the, the good answer, the, the church-approved answer, the standing-in-front-of-everyone answer is because I must, because I have to. I always feel like it, and it, it, is, it is something that I love to do every time I do it. But that's not really true for any of us what? all the time. <gasps> I, yeah, I know. You never would have asked me. No, actually, when you asked me these questions, I was like, you know what? What's the point of not being honest about stuff, right? So here's the truth about my life in worship. There's two regimes. Uh, and look, this is quite a broad concept as well, which relates to all parts of life. There are no shortcuts. We have a skill and uh, we practice a skill and we are visibly rewarded for our practice by the, the money we receive for performing our skill in the workplace. We work out, we get hotter, we are visibly hotter. People can appreciate how hard we've worked working out. Worship, yeah, about, like, there's so much stuff in life like that, right? There's no shortcuts. 
Um, so there's two, two ways to do it. Uh, there's my regime, where I careen from crisis to crisis, and I use worship as a circuit breaker to kind of clear the fog, to kind of refocus my eyes, and you guys will know what I'm talking about. You kind of try and last as long as you possibly can before you be honest with yourself and with God about where you are and what you're up to. And that's not, not the great, that's not the good one. <laughs> but we all do that, right? Um, is it just me? Yeah. If I'm going to be honest, you can be honest as well. Um, and that's like, you know, exercise. Once a year, twice a year, three times a year. Why am I not seeing any results? You know, and that's the one where we go, why am I not more intimate with God? Why can't I hear his voice? Why is he not with me? Why is he not walking with me? Why do I feel so distant? Well, mm, work it out. In uh, the second regime, of course, which is where you, uh, you set up a, 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 a pattern or a framework or a habit where you um, make time, you physically organize your life around a goal and the steps you have to take to achieve that goal. If it, and that's if it's intimacy with God, then that's not just going to happen. That takes work and time. Yeah. Time where, where nobody's watching you and nobody can see what you're doing. So those are the two kind of ways... Why do I worship? One, to get myself out of the quicksand. Or two, because I really am clear about what I want to achieve with my relationship with God. And uh, just also at a, at a more personal level as well, is that he told me to one day in the kitchen. Um, he just said, you know, it's all for me. Whichever way you do it, up here or down there or down there <laughs> or in the kitchen doing dishes, it's, it's all for me, you know doesn't make a difference it's all for me so that's a what that's the why so good man so good yeah <laughs> so you, you kind of already talked a little about what's going through your mind and um and if you have you know if there's barriers did do, do there other things you wanted to add add to that or is it no i think that's, that's it yeah so what's the question um well you talked about you the question was like, how do you how do you worship God? What kind of things are going through your mind? Um, yeah, let's do that. Let's go for the how. Okay, so I've got two parts to the how as well. I, I like points. I like bullet points. Bullet points, anybody? Yeah, yeah. How how do I worship? Well, obviously, um, this is how I worship when you see me. Um, but the first point that I say, uh, how how do I worship? Open my mouth. Something amazing happened in. Um, my work, oh, here I am. <laughs> I'm opening my mouth and my emotions are falling out of it. And that's that's probably the, the whole demonstration, the whole point of me coming up here is, is something great happened a few weeks ago and some, and I was so excited. I heard the news on my phone and I was sitting at my parents in laws place beside the fire and I looked at it on my phone and the feeling was just joy and just happiness and just something great had happened and it had been a while and I was completely together on a very even keel. Um, and Rachel walked into the room and she said, what's going on? And I said, you're just not going to believe this. And as soon as I started telling her, I started weeping. And it was in the opening of my mouth, when I articulated what had happened, I, couldn't, I could not physically restrain uh, the joy. And it came out 
in tears and it just it was ridiculous and hilarious at the same time because it was great news I was laughing and crying at the same time and that's the first thing how do I worship I just open your mouth that is the gate you know and that's why we sing together it seems so weird to come to this agreed location every week and let's have a sing-along so, so naff. Like, there is almost no other context where that's okay. Um, but it's so important. Um, and so open your mouth, right? So, so we sing. So it stirs up. So it releases stuff and it releases the worship. And there's uh, how, okay, for me, there's, there's a couple of things that I can sing and they will just... That's like what I was saying. It's like if when I turn to Rachel and tell her this good news, it just boom, out it comes. And there's some songs, there's some melodies, there's something in my, whether they just were put in there at the most crucial time of my young adulthood or a crucial time in my walk with God, that every single time I sing that combination of words with that melody in whatever location, whatever situation, it's like fast track straight through. And it just goes boom. And I'm saying this, and, and you know, maybe you're thinking, yep, yep, that's me, yep, that's me. And it might not even be that. I'm saying this because I'm a worshipper vocally. You know, that's, that's just my thing. But you might be like, it's this place, it's this time, it's this set of circumstances. But for me, whenever I sing those, those there's, there's two of them especially, which just get me every single time, <laughs> and there's no choice. So, yeah, so that's the first one. How do I worship him? Open your mouth. Dead simple. Open your mouth. Uh, and number two, um, because it's, we, we only do this once a week, but how can we worship every day? Uh, worship also comes to God with the stuff that we do and the way that we do it. So we can actually sanctify stupid stuff and turn it into worship and really repurpose it in that way by doing it excellently to honour him. Um, And just to finish, what you just said about Judas just then was amazing because we can come here and not open our mouth and leave. Judas went into that room. He was as close as we are, as close as anybody could have ever been to the epicentre of worship, like literally in Jesus' physical presence, and it was happening, the most beautiful moment of worship in all history was happening right in front of him, and he wasn't even in the room. He physically was, but he was thinking about 30 pieces of silver. And he left, and he committed the greatest act of betrayal. And it was just such a, like, you can be here, you can have have everything looking great, but... You can just not even be, yeah. It's so close and so far away. Anyway, thank you. Take the whole basket. Um, oh, yeah. Thanks, Caleb and Terish. Really awesome to hear, hear from you guys. That, yeah, that contrast that you're just touching on between uh, Judas and the woman is something that I find really profound. It's like I think that we, we come together and we, and we worship, but it, is like this, it can be like a crisis point that where we come and we kind of decide, are we in this moment going to choose to take this amount of time that we've got on a Sunday morning, half an hour or 40 minutes or whatever, is, are we, are we going to like orient ourselves towards God 
Uh, we might not like to sing. Are we going to lay down? Are we going to sacrifice our own lack of our own our own um, our own unwillingness to sing? Are we going to want to lay that down? At, at, you know, for for God, our King. Are we? You understand what I'm, I'm trying to say? Like, um, it's it's a it's a moment of decision every Sunday. We get to come and we see the words on the screen and we can have this decision. It's a decision time. It's like every Sunday we go, Jesus, I'm singing you're the king. Do I believe that you are the king? Are you really the king? Are you really the king of my life? Am I really uh, honoring you as the king? Am I, um, what Caleb was saying about, am I, you know, on my, on my um, Monday through to Saturday, am I, am I, are these words ringing true? Singing songs together can be like this profound act of worship to the King, to our King Jesus. When when our attention and our, and our affections become set upon Jesus, and we're like that woman breaking the jar of perfume, pouring it out on his head. And sometimes I like to think about it: if if the King of the Universe, the Lord of the Universe, the Creator of all things, walked up those stairs and walked into the room right now, like what would you do? Because that's what we believe happens. We invite the King of Kings into our presence. It's, isn't, that, isn't that true? We believe that we're in the presence of the High King of Heaven. So what would we do? What would we do? What would we do with our thoughts? What would we be doing with our, with our um, smartphones? You know? What would we be doing? How would you welcome the King of Kings into the room? I don't want this. Oh, I really don't want this to sound like uh, like a like a like a a guilt trip. But I do want us to all be challenged and go, man, like we've got this opportunity. I reckon, <laughs> off script. I reckon God's raising up a generation in our day in this time and this generation. And I don't care if the one-year-old or ninety-year-old. This generation are going to be people that go that see God as being worthy of it all. We sing these songs. You're worthy of it all. This generation is going to be people that actually they're actually going to sing it and they're really going to mean it, and it's going to play out in all facets of their lives, whether they're at church or whether they're at work, whether they're at home, uh, deciding um, if they're going to put their attention on. Uh, on this thing over here that, um, that might not be sinful, but that the world wants us to give our attention to, uh, or are we going to give our attention to Jesus? This is the generation. Man, I want to be part of it. I'm not, I don't want to be part of it, but I think, oh, there's steps that we that going to happen, eh? God's going to lead us into that place. So that was totally off script. I wanted to say that. Um, when we come together, we sing these songs. They can be, they can be a waiata for the king. Or they can be a waiata for ourselves. Uh, but we want to be singing this waiata for the king, giving him our attention and our affection for 30, 40 minutes, whatever it takes. And Jesus, you are worth my time. You're worth my attention. At the start, I said, I asked these questions. In my life, my thoughts, my actions, what am I giving worth to? Is what I'm giving worth to actually worth it? The woman made this decision to worship Jesus with her jar of perfume. She came under the authority. She was choosing to come under the authority, the rule, and the reign of King Jesus. She put Jesus first, and her reward was Jesus himself. Like Teresh touched on this, eh? Like that sense of peace he felt when he worships. She came into the presence of the King of Kings. Her reward is Jesus himself. Judas, on the other hand, he made the decision, betray Jesus. 
betray the high king of heaven for 30 silver coins, choosing not to come under the rule and reign of Jesus, instead choosing his own way. And his reward from that, well, he got 30 silver coins, and then a few days later, he was dead. His reward was death. Every Sunday, we come together and we have this choice. Worship Jesus, set our sights on him, go, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, this week, today, for the rest of this week. Or we can go, I'm going to actually, I'm not going to think about that. I'm, I'm, trage- I'm trajectorying towards something else. So we, we're having a, a worship sandwich this morning. I thought, wouldn't it be great to like, we hear, we hear, hear a message like this, and now we, and now we can respond. Um, so like Fiona and the team are, are going to come up and uh, lead us into some, more, into some more songs of worship. And um, some of this might, have been, might be resonating with you and you might be going, I want, to be able to, I want to be able to worship Jesus. I want to be able to worship him more. I want more freedom. And I wanted to, want to encourage you, what, what kind of things, uh, can you take a step this morning? What, is, is there something you can do, even physically, um, it, it might be a little bit embarrassing, but think about that woman. What she was doing was totally embarrassing, wasting 300 denarii in her act of extravagant worship to Jesus. Um, we've got all the space up here. We have a, we have a cross over here, uh, and you might want to come and kneel before the cross. Um, you might just want to stay where you are. Whatever it looks like, it's not, about, it's not about the outward, but the outward reflects what's going on in here. And if you find it hard, because we all do, (laughs) we all do, come to Jesus and go, Jesus, I'm finding it really hard. I would you reveal would you reveal yourself to me? Show me that you are good. Show me that you're worthy of of my worship today. Um remind me of, of my, my salvation, remind me of the hope that you've given me. Remind me that you've taken me from life into death. Or you might not, you might not have met Jesus before. And this could be a cool time to actually have that conversation with him. The same sorts of prayers. Lord Jesus, these people have been talking about you this morning. Would you reveal yourself to me? All right. How does that sound? Can, can you give it a nudge? <laughs> Yes, so stand. Don't clap me. Don't want it. Lord, Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord, for being here with us this morning. You know our thoughts. You know our hearts. You know that we we can live in a, uh, in, a in a very physical reality and not and not understand because we can't see. We can't see uh, the supernatural. We can't see an invisible God. We can't see you, God. And when we, sometimes when we hear these stories, we know, well, the woman, she could see you, Jesus. Or we imagine the, the king of heaven walking into this room, seeing the king of heaven and what we would do. And, but the reality is that most of us, we can't see you. But Lord, we, we long to be able to come before you, to come into the to come into the presence of the creator God of the universe, the source of life, the one who breathed his life into, into, into flesh, into, into dirt, and you created human beings. 
We long to come into your presence, Lord. I know for me, I want to be one of that, one of that generation that lifts you up in my life uh, as, a, as a worshiper. The saints come marching in, goes that old song. I want to be in that number, Lord. So, Father, as we, as we sing these, I don't know, the rest of these songs this morning, may those songs become, become like that jar of perfume that that woman had. The songs in themselves are nothing, Lord, but, but we, can be, we can actually make them. We can actually give them worth and then give you worth through them. We can sacrifice ourselves even in a song, in a sense, letting ourselves be broken as an act of worship for you. <laughs> Holy Spirit, our hearts yearn for you. Our hearts burn for you. So come, Lord Jesus, and let us come to you. We just thank you, Lord, we honor you. Amen.